Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Hello, hello. Hello. This is my first remote recording, so hopefully it will go well. Welcome to the podcast, um, to Jen Kerford up in middle of nowhere. Where are you right now? <laughs> I'm up in Kananara. Up in Kananara. Yeah. Let's do a little um, competition. Who's got it hotter? 35 degrees down here. What's yours? Oh, probably about the same. Raining every oh. day. Um, yeah, right. Okay. I feel like it's hotter. So um, no fans today, unlike a few other podcasts in the in the past that have had the noise of fans but hopefully the quality is good there's a couple of just warnings before we get started the content of today I'm sure will be quite triggering for some and some really personal and troubling topics that we're going to cover and as well we are quite passionate in what we talk about and how we speak so if there are the odd swear words maybe little ears don't let them hear this podcast because there may be the odd F-bomb dropped. <laughs> so those are your warnings. As always, if anything is triggering that we talk about, please do seek further help. Um, speak to someone at Lifeline or find out someone else to reach out to. Or you can talk to myself. As always, I'm always here for a chat and to give support. So let's dive straight in. I think um, there's going to be potentially a bit of controversy because I think it'd be fair to say, Jen, you're not afraid to share your opinions and I'm a strong believer in everyone has a right to an opinion and it's invaluable actually to have lots of different viewpoints on life can you in a nutshell just sum yourself up if those who are listening have never heard of you tell me a little bit about you and what you're doing in life gosh um yeah I I guess I I'm not afraid to share my opinion, but I'm definitely more than happy to listen to everybody else's. So mm-hmm. um, I have been a police officer for near on nine years and worked in a lot of regional remote areas in WA. So I've worked in the city um, dealing with lots of like drug related issues and everything that we have problems with in the metropolitan area. Um, but also up in the Pilbara and the Kimberleys, I've worked three, four years up up in those areas and really sort of to, to the troubles that I guess um, we experience out in the regions and it is an extremely different world than what anyone in the city could ever possibly imagine. So, yeah, I suppose being exposed to all of those different things and that gives me a slightly different sort of uh, view on the world and um, things that are important and what our genuine issues are. So it's, it can lead to me clashing with um, some people a little bit, I suppose, but it all comes down to life experience. So, Yeah, I think you've hit on a few really interesting points there. And I guess from the perspective of my podcast, and it is, I, I don't love the term self-help, but it's very much about trying to empower people to be the best version of themselves or just give life advice. And I think sometimes we forget to look at the other side or it's, it, you can, I often reach out to people that I think are really inspirational or really have a positive message, but they've only really got to that point because they've had to experience some sort of major challenge or adversity or they've had trauma in their past. And I did think mm-hmm. talking to you would be helpful because Sometimes we can't just go, oh, look at that. It's a rosy, nice option. Sometimes we have to take things in perspective and be able to look at things from 
maybe a negative standpoint to give us more gratitude, make us feel more appreciative, give us a sense of perspective on our lives compared to other people's. So I hope this conversation won't be really doom and gloom and I hope it won't have an adverse effect and be really depressing. But Mm. I do think it's important to talk about really hard life experience because people that haven't had to experience major major challenge they don't necessarily have the opportunity to then become more resilient become more equipped with dealing with life when it doesn't all go to plan so oh gosh where to start we could (laughs) we could uh we could go anywhere from this point but maybe let's start with what made you wanted to become a police officer or your journey to that point was it a very Mm. much intentional thing from the get-go or you've just found yourself there Mm. I think I think even as a young child, I suppose I just always had this sort of innate desire to to help and to try and try and just make life better across the board, whether it's for me or for my family or for everyone around me. Just just that kind of feeling, but not really knowing what that's going to look like. I suppose when I was little, I just wanted to be a vet and just save every animal on the planet. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a bit of a wiggly path because I only ended up joining the police when I was thirty. So there was a lot of a lot of different experiences before that. Um, but it's just that that deep desire to, I guess, to serve. I guess is the best summary. But it's more just to like actually feel like I'm contributing in yep. society and whatever in whatever capacity. Like to contribute, to take part, and and to try and just I guess make life just that little bit better for whoever I come across that's just generally my standpoint yeah that's a really beautiful way of kind of summarizing why you do what you do and I'm going to potentially hit a nerve here by what Mm. I'm about to say but Mm. I've always considered police officers as Mm. maybe enforcing discipline or trying to Mm -hmm. elicit some sort of power and I think that's unfortunately Mm. the very few like 0.1% 0.1% minority the the George Floyd kind of examples and mm-hmm. where you see police officers um taking over and you know they're in a position of authority and power and they mm-hmm. use that to their advantage it's so nice to hear that I'm assuming actually the majority of police officers go into the role because they see that by um, doing their role they can actually help the water uh, the broader community as a whole rather than focusing on just disciplining and yeah yeah can you talk to that a bit because I'm sure I'm not the only one in in having unfortunately that approach towards police officers I yeah and I think I think it's quite important to also distinguish between like I mean I can only speak from West Australian sort of viewpoint of what I've experienced but the difference between cultures and history and everything with regards to say West Australian policing versus any variation of US policing as well and state-by-state examples in the US, it's also very different. Um, so I couldn't even possibly comment on on how they go. And I think it's also important to take everything as it comes and not sort of see what happens in the US and blanket that and say that's what's happening here because I don't, I don't believe that's the case. But there's, there's definitely some people, I suppose, who join with slightly wrong intentions or you know a little bit arrogant or just like like to feel like they're in control and things like that um mm-hmm. I would definitely say it is by far not remotely close to the majority the majority of people 
um, that I've come across in nine years, they're really just, they're just here to help people. They're just, they're just good people that have ended up in a job that they just feel can actually try and help people. And I think, yep. um, and I think that's society yeah. as a whole, right? Like in every profession, there's yeah. going to be people in it for the right and the wrong reasons. And for exactly. many, many different reasons why one person becomes a headmaster could be very different to why another person yeah. becomes. So that's a, that's a really um, fair point. I also, yeah. when you were saying that, I, I thought about, I hate how people try and get money for roads um for speeding so if you're english you're listening to this <laughs> the speed cameras like hide in the bushes there's no warning it's literally yeah. like you're being targeted <laughs> and i was really confused when i first came here because i believe that controlling people on the road is for safety and then you yeah. told me a while back you're like no no it's purely revenue making which makes sense because australia is so massive that they need to find money for the road somehow mm-hmm. but mm. i was so angry and then you also defended your police department and we're like just so you know we're nothing to do with them that's like <laughs> a that's like a I find it so rude and malicious and so naughty like I, oh I hate them I, once I was going down the freeway and I um saw this camera had been like blown out and then I heard on the news someone had shot it and I was like to be <laughs> honest if I owned a gun I might because the people that ignore them are gonna be the the ones that you know the minority that needs to get a a speeding fine or whatever those of us that are happily singing along and like in a blissful (laughs) state of we i'm on my way and maybe go three four k over we do not oh my gosh i need to let this go clearly i have some bees but i just (laughs) it's interesting that there's um even in the in the police force itself i'm sure there's um like uh, trauma management like really chaos chaos management and then there's more community engagement and then oh, there's yeah. more like keeping people safe and so yeah. do you feel like you fit into a role within your especially especially in the regions what's your main hat is it mostly safety for people is it mostly disciplining is it mostly um trying to take the bad guys off and bad women off the streets like what's your main or it just there's so many roles so well, many hats yeah I'll, I'll, I'll touch first on um you're not the only ones that get speeding tickets we get them too so <laughs> it's not <laughs> ideal and there is actually also a completely separate um pot of money that comes under road I mean they call it road policing but um traffic policing in general is funded by its own separate main roads sort of section right separate funding same police force separate funding so they get a lot of money thrown at them for whatever reason um i guess it's kind of entwined in a little bit of political stuff as well it's a lot of visualization of what can be seen um so that's that's a whole different bucket on its own and i guess they try to be seen um to say that it you know it decreases fatalities on the road if people are just aware that there's cameras everywhere they think it just makes sure people but pay you know what they could more, do but... like the in, in england is mm. put at 100 meters a massive yellow sign saying 100 meters ahead camera yeah. then at yeah, 50 agreed. meters agreed. if they really wanted yes. to be seen they wouldn't yes. hide in the bushes yes but let's you move slow down because you know it's there angry. right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah, go oh it's there i'll slow down if you want, want to go fast it's like a school zone right you've got to slow down yes of course yeah. Anywho, let's move on from Can't that. Can't because... possibly comment on that. I, yeah, I, <laughs> you're not the first one to get caught and I am not going to be the last person to get caught. I nearly lost my license in the first week. I think I got 
five speeding fines or so I was one point away but anyway that is we digress so in terms of your specific work yes depending on where you've been located have you felt Mm. that your role has changed with the being in the city or being regional or has it always you've worn the same kind of hat within every Um, region I would say that in the regions um if I was going to generalise anywhere from the 26th parallel north, um, your general um, just, I guess, socioeconomic and um, makeup of society changes, I suppose. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at percentages, we've got quite a strong, um, like, Caucasian presence in the city or multicultural, you know, in the city but once you start getting out into the regions you start really sort of swaying into a very large like indigenous aboriginal um population Um, Mm -hmm. and it seems from north of the 26th you know we deal we deal with i would say on average majority of my jobs that i go to in the regions are 95 percent involving um indigenous people Mm -hmm. um and majority of it is family violence related right very very violent um very violent family violence related um and if it's not that it's it's the other half is juveniles from the age of six to 16 horrific problems with people getting their cars stolen driving Mm -hmm. around town kids trying to ram police with cars um and just kids coming in and out of jail constantly um from stealing burglaries, stolen cars, trying to ram police. Mm-hmm. And when it's not that, it's horrific, violent offending with regards to um, family violence. That is 95% of what we do. Yep, which is absolutely horrific. And that's yeah. clearly in the kind of red zone recovery. Mm. Um, obviously, that takes its toll. Mm. Um, I've got two questions. First of mm-hmm. all, can you see a solution? Because clearly that's not, that's not prevention. By the mm-hmm. time you're involved, that's very much happened and you have to try yeah. and recover. Yes. Do, what do these regions need? Do they need, because as an art, artist, and I've actually got a plan to come in and do community-based yeah. murals all around the regions and, and have it as a charity, but essentially get all the locals, whoever wants to, to get involved, to create a mural they get to de- choose the design. They get to feel empowered and ownership over the art they create on a public building within their region. Mm-hmm. So things like that that can bring people together and, and create a sense of community and respect for each other and respect for their buildings and respect for their, each other's kind of viewpoints. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a million-dollar question and something that I... Is there a solution? <laughs> yeah, but in terms of what could be prevention, what do you mm. see? I've got a friend who's also, and I'm going to get him on the pod, he's an ex-Olympic swimmer, and mm. he's going around to these regions and he's creating swimming pools and like getting them up to a point where they can be used by everyone in the community. And yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. So obviously there's ingrained trauma, there's, yes. there's so much that we don't want to get too down a political rabbit hole, but yeah. anything that you would think how can we prevent it from getting to a point where family violence in the regions is just normal, you know, quote unquote. Normal as in we're accepting it to be normal or is it? Not accepting, but it happens so much. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming Um, it's it's fueled by alcohol, maybe drug use, but as well, huge amounts of trauma that people have put on them. You know, the reasons why they're like that, they're super complex. And the government needs to sort that out. But what, what could maybe happen 
to stop that from even it's heavily heavily alcohol dependent and i think the more the more time i sit here and look at it like i mean i know some people get a bit disheartened um but i honestly genuinely believe after nine years of like looking at this and dealing with it and seeing just the horrific levels of trauma it's like we might get frustrated but Day to day, you can tell that people are acting like this because they have no coping mechanisms. Yes. They have severe alcohol-related issues from a young age where Mm -hmm. they end up dying young because of their horrific health. They get diabetes. Like it's like this compounded problem from alcohol. But you sit back and go, why? Why are they so alcohol-dependent? And it's like probably to escape, right? People usually drink to escape. Same reason they do recreational drugs is to Mm -hmm. escape. And they want to disconnect from whatever trauma they've experienced. Mm -hmm. And then you go back into the kids and you go, well, why are they running around at stupid o'clock? And you're like, well, that's because they don't feel safe at home. Why? Mm -hmm. The alcohol, the adults are all drunk. They're all drunk. They're all violent. The kids escape. The kids Mm -hmm. go out they literally raise themselves with other kids and they do what's fun and that's stealing cars and getting to spend time with the police because the police are probably one of the few people who treat them outrageous really to think that mm-hmm. the people that are locking them up are actually the kindest to them. Yeah. Which is a whole different, like the complexities of and the, the negative feedback loop that continues is if you really look at it, it's horrific. Like, it is one of the most horrific and scary things to witness to know that this is happening in Australia, which mm. is a first world country, and these people are living in third world conditions, and it's not from lack of trying. It, mm. it, it is choice, but the choice is coming from a horrific amount of trauma, and I guess I don't see government ever being able to help it ever because you can, you know, you can lead a horse to water, I guess, it, you can only put so much in place, but I think at the end of the day, it's like anybody, individuals have to stand up and say, we need to do better. Yes, agreed. There's a lot being said in what you've just spoken about there. Mm. I guess when you have a whole environment, so we are obviously the product of our environments and we mm. are the product of the five people we spend most time with, so mm. that we're going to be influenced and especially when you're zero to five is the most informative years of your mm-hmm. life. So yeah. if you're born into this world mm-hmm. where you have got no positive influence, you've got no mm-hmm. positive kind of role models, you've got no support, you've got no, like nothing, it would be yeah. near on impossible to get out of it. So yeah. scary reality. And I'm assuming, I don't need, need to ask this, but I'm assuming yeah. there's not been much improvement in the last nine years uh, at all. Not, you... it, it may be getting worse. Okay, because I I really wanted to kind of maybe mm. share one positive story or mm. a really lovely example. Obviously, the the theme of this podcast is not to dwell on yeah. the horrific um, elements of life, but to try yeah. and seek some wisdom or some understanding or some growth or well, something positive. I mean, looking at the situation itself, I think it's it's hard to draw positives at this point because mm. you just see it spiralling and spiralling. But I think the only time that anything really changes is when an individual makes a decision to um, mm. to actually change, you know. Like you, one of the most important things that I sort of live by is like what has happened to you isn't your fault, mm-hmm. but how you respond to it is your responsibility. 
Mm-hmm. Actually, I want to speak on two things, two examples with that in mind. Mm. I agree completely. So I lost a very important man in my life. He He's like a second father to me. I almost had two um, different parents growing up who looked after me from the age of two days old. And I would go to their house every day after school and weekends and school holidays. They were a second family, the Davidson family, incredible. So Ken, he's just passed away and he was an orphan. So he went mm-hmm. to an orphanage at the age of six. And he stayed there until he was an adult. And instead of taking one term, which obviously from that traumatic childhood, he lost his mum at the age of six, he could have turned into a really troubled man. Instead, he went and set up orphanages, schools. Um, he was an incredible role model within the church. Like, he was an amazing, amazing man. And yeah. used his terrible experience for good. And the yeah. second example, I do some work at Aquinas. And I won't name who he is, mm-hmm. uh, but he's an incredible um, indigenous boy from the Kimberley, actually, up in Wyndham. Oh, yeah. The first place I ever went to when I arrived in Australia 10 years ago. And he got a scholarship and he said he will be the Prime Minister of Australia one day. He's an advocate. He speaks out. He's a remarkable boy. And he yeah. talks about his experience back home. And he has this deep, beautiful connection, which is so mm-hmm. common um, and wrapped up in the culture of being Aboriginal with his family. He loves his family so much, but he recognises that he doesn't want to follow the path that most yeah. of his family members have followed. And I'm just... Yeah blown away by someone that can be so young and have gone through so much shit and trauma and pain and yet he's rising above it and he is going to be something extraordinary he's already talking uh, um national level to governments and amazing Amazing. remarkable so it's so true what you it's an opportunity and this might be a bit confronting for some people but i feel qualified to say this when you go through a shit time and when you go through trauma it can actually be a wonderful opportunity. Now, if you're in that shit time right now and if you're experiencing an overwhelming mm-hmm. challenge, you won't agree with me because mm-hmm. you'll feel defensive and you'll think, how mm-hmm. do you know? Blah, blah. But nearly dying in my teens on yeah. multiple occasions has equipped me with the opportunity to have to learn resilience, questioning my mindset, yeah. overcoming challenge, um, re um reinstating my belief systems like I wouldn't be the person I am today without that so I guess it's I mean this is another million dollar question but how would you encourage someone or put the trust in someone that actually there can be a silver lining out of horrific times yeah I mean I think the only time that you can truly appreciate the good in the world is when you've walked through the shit. Mm-hmm. I think you yeah. probably don't have a genuine appreciation for what you have if you haven't seen the other side of the coin. And I think a lot of our problems just generally as a society is that no one's struggled enough. No one, like, we have it so easy now. You know? Yes. And we have it so easy that we start picking on things that aren't necessarily a massive problem. but. Mm-hmm find problems in things that on the grand scheme probably aren't that big a deal but we just don't have anything else to complain about I suppose (laughs) well I'm gonna I agree with you in part I'm gonna reframe it that it's human nature to seek out risk so uh, on a cellular level 
as a survival mechanism, we need to see risk. So when we're in a, you know, back in the caveman times and mm. a saber-toothed tiger's coming to eat us, or when there's a blizzard coming in and we don't have a fur rug to keep us warm, or a neighboring tribe's about to kill us, we needed to be on high alert all the time. So it's it's actually an innate um, physical, it's part of being human and part of being an animal. Is to, Everyone wants to fight for something, right? Yes, and you have to. That's like in our, that's in our DNA. The problem mm. is the world is too safe. We don't, mm-hmm. unless, unfortunately, or horrifically, unless you are one of the families in a domestic violence situation surrounded by alcohol, where genuinely your world is unsafe. The mm-hmm. majority of us, and I'm, sure, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this podcast, mm. are in a very safe world, but it doesn't yeah. stop your, on your cellular level that just inbuilt need to see risk. So then you're so right, you create risk. You create perceived problems that actually aren't there but it's just part of being a human being so it is recognizing is this genuinely detrimental to my health my well-being my mental health my life or can I challenge this can I work through this and in the process grow in more resilience and realize that it's not that traumatic in the in you know in in the long run I think think you just need to constantly reevaluate and constantly re sort of sit down and go okay perspective 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 because mm-hmm. you can really go down a rabbit hole and I've been down many rabbit holes myself with constant like um, exposure to horrific traumas like I'm talking like people stabbing each other with glass bottles causing mm-hmm. real bleeds in arms. I've seen triceps hanging off to the bone. Like I've had to put my finger in people's heads because they've had their heads smashed open. And the reasoning, oh, because they took my bottle of wine. Like mm-hmm. the that people are doing such horrific I guess when it's like that, the reason really doesn't matter. Irrelevant. There's, there's no valid reason for any violence on anyone. Violent. Yeah. yeah like just really traumatic in the trenches kind of just survival mechanism like every single job I don't know if I'm gonna get glass thrown at me or punched or someone's gonna try and run me over but I think living in that constant exposure to trauma it can really like sort of not even just bog you down but it can spiral it can spiral and you lose you lose perspective on on the good sides of the world, you lose perspective on what's nice and what's bright and mm-hmm. where the positives can come on. And you have to, you have to really be very, very aware of that happening to you so that you can constantly recheck yourself. And I think it's important, not just like, obviously my job is an extreme level of sort of trauma exposure constantly. And it's not even my own trauma, but then that creates my own trauma all on its own. Yeah. So. And but not only not on a psychological level, mental level, physical level, you're also on a, you know, hormonal um, well, level. You're going to, yes, stress is going to be through the roof. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I guess if you can't ever get away from that, well, then if that's, so we're speaking about two different concepts here. One is that living with genuine life-threatening trauma is horrific and will have a long-lasting chronic effect on one's well-being but it's the people that are maybe not in a heightened traumatic state have learned to find a little little like um not insignificant traumas but more pokes or more inconveniences Mm. or Mm -hmm. more like challenges they find Mm. those 
to have a similar effect to someone who's being beaten up by their yes you know partner and it's it's how do we put it in perspective I guess to go is my life genuinely at risk because some people unfortunately don't have the tools to be able to separate and say uh is this my life at risk really and they genuinely feel what it feels like to be on the receiving end of life-threatening trauma and it's I'm not a psych and I say this all the time and I've obviously don't have the intellect to kind of understand why a person would experience something seemingly quite shallow or insignificant Mm. as trauma Mm. it doesn't kind of make sense but then that speaks to so many different things like um, generational trauma or a, a, a a forgotten thing that's happened in the past that's mm-hmm. still in their psyche you just don't know but I guess because we, we're kind of spiraling all over the shop but in terms of positive coping strategies for you because obviously y- you have experienced far more trauma than most what have you found helpful for you to lower the cortisol levels I know the animals are going to play a big part in this but um and sport but things that you do in your life that you know just kind of are a step away out of that genuine trauma experience. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it can be really tough and I'm acutely aware of the situation that I'm in. Like even just recently I've been having a bit of a rot. But I think the most important thing when you're going through this stuff sometimes is just to stop and then go strip it right back, strip everything right back and just stop and go, what is important to me? What do I want? How do I want my life to be? And just sit in it. Just sit in questions of really, really wanting to know, like, what do I want and what mm-hmm. do I need to be happy? Like, And it's not even, I've, I've, I've played with this a lot, it's not even chasing happiness, you know? Like, it's, it's chasing fulfilment. And I think that's what everyone wants is like mm-hmm. fulfillment. You don't need to be happy all the time. You just need to feel like you're, you're fulfilled and your life has meaning. I think, I think that's the most important thing anyone can possibly do is to, is to make sure that they feel like their life has meaning or find meaning in something that gets you through until you can reevaluate later. Like, yeah. And I think that's all you need to do. You just need to, and it's so simple, but, it doesn't doesn't make it easy and you just have to strip it back and go what what do I need to do yeah me feel like I'm doing something and yeah like obviously nothing a purring cat can't help with but they're all like small smallest things but I think just really tapping in to what fulfills you as a human being yeah and that's going to be different to everyone and there's so many suggestions like self-help books do this go on a retreat learn yoga learn to meditate blah blah but you have to find that thing for you which in itself can be a really daunting concept yeah but one thing I would recommend and what I did in the past I was deeply miserable I was I was medicated for depression and anxiety for over a decade Mm -hmm. and I remember saying to my mum I've had a lot of my life affirming kind of conversations with mum and I said but I don't know what makes me happy. And she said, well, sweetheart, think about when you, a time when you were happy. And I, I said, I don't, I can't think. She's like, rubbish. You were happy when you were 11. What did you do in your life at 11? I was like, well, I had 
you know, friends and I played sport and I had nature and we lived on like a farm property and I had the cats and she's like, great. So start there. And it might not instantly fill you with joy, but the chances are if you replicate how you lived life as a child, because we're mostly at our happiest, carefree, no, um, we don't have responsibility. We don't have all these complex, very rarely do you have all these complex kind of Mm. emotional struggles unless you're in a traumatic situation. So think of a time when you were most happy and just try and replicate that almost like you're faking it till you make it and then reconnect with what makes you you because for every person it's going to be something different. If it's drumming the hell out of a drum kit and making a hell of a lot of noise is like fulfills your soul, do it. That wouldn't be my thing. My thing would be sitting quietly in nature, but that's what I make sure I do. Um, And then the more you do it, the more you say, like you say, allows you to then find yourself, get back to yourself, to get into a place where you then feel empowered to make decisions from a better headspace. Because unfortunately, most people try and make these huge decisions and changes at a point where they are not ready. So it's like a wounded soldier trying to run across the border. No, you need to recover first and then get to a point where your cup is full or cup is, you know, not at least empty before you can take steps to a more positive kind of future. I think one thing I remember from um, speaking to someone, they the death of a, a family member and they had all the estate to have to sort out and they were rushing to a decision to try and, decide okay should we sell should we could hold on to it should we do that and I said wait yeah. like what you started by saying stop like don't make a decision if you're not in a good headspace to make a decision the decision making process will still be available to you in the future so just wait let yourself yeah. recover before trying to you cannot make a decision when the world around you is clouded because you just can't see yeah so, Sometimes so, yeah. polarized, I think, as well. I think when you're getting super polarized and something's triggering you and setting you off emotionally, you're never going to make a great a great decision when you're feeling fired up about something or you're feeling super about something. It's almost yeah. like having to stop so that you can recalibrate. Like, And it comes down, I guess, emotional regulation, recalibrate, sit down, whatever you want to call it, and and just wait for the extreme ends of whatever emotions are going to just kind of settle and then it helps you be able to make good decisions because when you're, when you're in that fight or flight sort of complex, you're in that extreme emotional state, you're getting triggered by whatever, you're, you're never going to be able to make a nice, clear cons- like decision because you're very much sort of, I guess, on more of an animalistic response, like you're responding emotionally. It's not cognitive. Like your brain's not kicking in first. Mm-hmm. Flies yeah. out before the brain can even have a chance to engage, like, I don't know if you've read a book called The Chimp Paradox. Have you read, have you read that? I have book? not, but I shall add it to my Christmas list. I highly, highly recommend The Chimp Paradox. It is phenomenal. It's by a, uh, a very, very good psychologist and he he speaks on like the different ways that your brain is connected and almost refers to like your cognitive level as a computer and then also some refer to it as the inner child or it could be like that emotional respondent is more like your chimp. Mm-hmm. Like our chimps are a little bit less evolved. They're not very cognitive and they just like respond to things. It's an emotional response. Like they may overly respond and it's okay to have that, but your your cognitive side of you needs to be able to be aware enough to almost hold your chimp's hand. 
and mm, hold yeah. and let them know that whatever they're experiencing is true for them. It's okay. And then be able to just hold them through that extreme emotional response mm-hmm. forwards. Once it's, once your chimp settled down, then you can, then you can go forward with actually contemplating and thinking things through a little bit better. Yeah. It, Gosh, that sounds great. And there's two yeah. amazing things you've hit on there. And the first one is that, we actually aren't as emotionally evolved or as emotionally intelligent as we'd probably like to be. Oh, we're animals, man. If I've seen anything, we are fucking animals. <laughs> we, yeah. We, there it is, the first yeah. F-bomb, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. 35 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think for you. Quite well. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, yeah. the paradox is that yeah. we experience and feel emotions far higher or greater than we are emotionally equipped to deal with and I've just had that I just don't know where that quote has come from it's just come from my head but I'm only having that realization now but I think two things we need to accept that we're gonna feel like Mm. being a human being and going through life is peppered with highs with lows with anxiety with stress with uncertainty with all these emotions and Often people will kind of go, oh, I'm, this is a, a label. It's like, yeah, mate, you're a human. Like, that's part of being a human being. Like, what do you expect mm-hmm. to be, like, brain dead, not have a single emotion through the rest of your life? But also we need to accept that we unfortunately probably don't have the emotional intelligence to understand our feelings, to manipulate them, to work through them. So the best thing might be just to go, you know what, I'm feeling full stop. I'm heartbroken, full stop. I'm angry, full stop. I can't change it because I'm not emotionally equipped to do that. A little bit like when people say space is infinity. We are not mentally equipped to comprehend a no end. We're just really evolved monkeys. Yes. We overrate ourselves for sure. We don't. Yes. But instead of trying, it's like a false ego, instead of trying to understand. And I mean, that's part of what I do for work. But actually, sometimes we just need to go, this is the situation. I can do nothing about it other than accept it and just go with the flow until it stops. And that's the other reassuring thing is that unless you have chronic trauma, unless you have chronic unresolved stress on a DNA level, you know, intergenerational, the chances are your low, low, low feelings won't remain low, low, low forever. You know, we're, we ebb and flow. Like they will at the time. Oh my God, it will feel like they will at the time. Of course. But having that trust, like I did not believe Mm. my mum when she said, I promise Mm. you, sweetheart, when you Mm. are an adult, you will feel hunger again. Because I didn't feel Mm. my stomach shrunk and I didn't eat and blah, blah. So I didn't Mm. feel hungry for five years. Eating when you don't feel hungry and you already have a fear of food is hell. And it's just like, if one person is hearing me speak now, I promise you what you are feeling now will change. You might become more Mm. resilient. The feeling might lessen. It might change into a bit more of a relaxed, less harsh, raw experience, but it will change in time. Just time. Time is just so, so necessary. Yeah. One of the things I always sort of try to tell myself, especially when I'm like right down in some of the darkest places it's like you only lose when you quit it's like you don't need to be doing great you just need to not give up mm-hmm. you just yeah. need to not give up like you every day is just the next day you just need to get out of bed 
and you need to make it through the day. And then each day you just build on it. And if you have setback, it's fine, but you only lose when you quit. So as long as you keep turning up, eventually mm-hmm. one day you're going to wake up and you're not going to feel so shit about yourself. Yeah. And then you just keep trying. You Like the only thing you can ever do in life is keep turning up every day. Mm-hmm. And you do that and magical things happen. Like you will be down in the dumps and just think you have no way out. But if you just tell yourself, I just need to turn up today and get through whatever, even if it's literally like today I'm going to shower and make my bed. Yep. Yeah. Cool. This, this, this same message was um, spoken about in my last episode and it's, um, I can't remember her surname, but a lady called Sam and um, she was on The Bachelorette or something. Mm. Anyway, she said, choose your hard. And Shandell said, quoted her, choose your hard. Basically, mm. it's going to be hard to lie in bed. It's going to be hard to be depressed and have the covers over your head. It's also going to be hard to feel like that and get up and have a shower and put clothes on. But mm. both options are hard. So just choose your hard. Choose the, the hard option that is going to be better for you. Like if, mm. if you're in a really dark shitty place life is hard full stop but choose whichever one so same as showing up like okay it might not change your feeling instantly but at least you're showing up and at least it's one step forward and committing to bettering yourself in the long run yeah or even just saying to yourself like what would future me want me to be doing right now Mm, yeah and you go oh well, future me is fucking cool, right? Like future me is having the best time doing all this cool stuff. And they'd be like, there's no way future me would want me to be sitting here fucking crying all day. Like yep. future me wants me to shower and do the grocery shops and make my bed and then go out and be like, cool, what do you feel like? You're like, well, right now I don't know. So think about it next day, go out and do something. But And yeah. also what would younger me look up to? Like, yeah, I think yeah. of my little self. Yeah. And God, I was a weird child. I would just spend my weekends relaxed against a, uh, a sheep you know like literally genuine I would lie up against a sheep yeah the sheep the like farmer next door would use our fields <laughs> to um any sheep and cows that were about to give birth so they're really fat and uncomfortable and um so usually they just like, lounge around until they pop out their offspring so I just be like cool there's one that's ripe to lie against and I would just sit against-, against a sheep and just yeah. look down on the view across yeah. the Morven hills across the land it was just countryside and mm. I would just sit and it was amazing. And I would, because I'm a deep thinker and I'm a bit of an old soul, but I would often think about my future and like, what would I be doing? Will I be sitting against sheep in, as an adult or what? I don't know. <laughs> um, but it, like, what would your younger version of you want to yeah. look up to or want to become? Yeah. Um, which could in itself be quite a lot of pressure. Like you then can start to be self-sabotaging, self-loathing, think about I'm a failure. So I guess you have to be careful with how you internally talk to yourself as well, that you have to be kind to yourself. Um, But also recognize once upon a time, I was just that little weird child laying against a sheep and it's okay. I've made it to adulthood and I don't have to take on the world. I'm I'm just weird little me, really, deep down at my core. I'm still that inner child. Um, yeah it's just and just be kind be kind yourself I think that's a message that runs through this self-awareness but kindness like the only way you're going to be able to get over a challenge 
is speak to yourself like as if your friend was going through what you're going through you wouldn't berate them you wouldn't beat them up you wouldn't go oh you're useless get out of bed you lazy shit yeah. like you would be kind so you've got to be when, your own partner right you got to yes absolutely yourself. i think if you like that's gonna literally almost see yourself as two different people you know and be like okay I'm dating me how am I gonna help me yes and if you look at it like that it's like it's like sometimes I can be so giving and I'm so good with helping other people and then I'm I can be average to poor at looking after myself on occasion which I think is a human trait unfortunately because I think being British especially but just being a human unless you're American um your tendency is to be self-loathing and put yourself down it's kind of a cultural norm to mm-hmm. otherwise you you come across as maybe arrogant or egotistical or yeah you know oh, you're your own ass but achievements without coming across arrogant you're like literally just saying oh I think did well at that it's like oh we're British. yeah it's uncomfortable oh, yeah. <laughs> I still can't do that but <laughs> well no no you're arrogant you're like what no, I'm just trying to be proud of myself like <laughs> yeah it's a balance like everything yeah. there's all these buzzwords self-awareness balance kindness yeah. you know giving all these things but it's just I mean we're still trying to work it out hey we're not we're no one is a pro at it I think unless you're a Buddhist monk but even then you miss out on fun Um, I reckon but yeah I'm sure they only out the way they did from massive amounts of trauma experiences to work through it anyway like no one decides to become a monk because their life was amazing maybe yeah I'm not gonna get into that debate yeah I think we've done well not to have too much controversy on this on this um episode I mean I've always said to you I'm like me and you are on the same team we just come at it from different angles yes explain that more for the listeners like I might come at like I always want a myself to be better the people around me to be better and not necessarily just like you know trivial achievements like just feeling better and feeling happier like I want me to be better off my family to be better off my friends to be better off and just general world around me to be better off and you are 100% on the same path with that you want everyone to just be better off in the world I mean that's why you're doing this but I have my experiences and you have your experiences and sometimes and you have your approach and I have my approach (laughs) coming from a I guess a more heavy-handed viewpoint and a more let's fucking go kind of point Mm. And come from a, with a little bit more of more of a gentle cuddling sort of viewpoint, but but we're both on the same team. We're both, and I think you know here comes the controversy. It's not even controversial; it's just straight facts. But me and you always know we're on the same team, and we have the ability to disagree, but yes. talk through it to see where we're coming from. Yes, with and respectfully disagree with yeah. somebody else's opinion but not have to expand on that. Just go, okay, I hear you. I don't agree, but you're so welcome to your opinion. Yeah, and even just trying to go, okay, I don't agree, but I'd love to understand how yes. you come to that. Yes, I'm fascinated with understanding mm. why mm. people think what they think, how they act, the way mm. they act. I should have done mm. sociology or, or psychology. I, I still yeah. will I'll study that. But yeah. unfortunately, the person, often I get into a tricky predicament because I will ask the person of, in question, 
why they are saying what they're saying or behaving in the way they are and they don't know the answer it's taken me many years to realize that there's no point asking someone who doesn't know the answer because then they become defensive and then it becomes like a you're hating on me you're picking on me it's like I'm really just trying to understand you. Like, I really just want to know. You know what it is, though? They don't understand them. And if they don't. That's what I mean. They don't have the answer. They don't know themselves. So they can't possibly give an informed response without um, tension. So I. Me and you, I've seen this before because me and you have had conversations before, but then I've seen external influences chirp in. And then me and you aren't emotional about it, but there's other people on the outside that get emotional about our conversations. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't want to go into that. See, no. I, I'm so like, <laughs> I'm so, um, so not equipped with all the kind of like social, mm. I'm so bad on computers. So mm. I don't see any of this. There's a lot of times I've put my foot in it um, because I've completely misread the context or I've not been aware of some mm. conversations happening behind my back or, you know, I'm like, oh, shit, I- okay, I did not know this. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> But I don't get involved. I don't want the drama because I accept that if you haven't experienced life, if you haven't walked in the same shoes, if you don't have your version of events, which no one else can have the same Mm -hmm. as you, Mm. you're never, ever, ever going to come at something with the same viewpoint. So there's no point in trying to win the other person over, convince them of your mindset because everyone will have a completely different lens on life. And the sooner that we all accept that everybody is unique and has their own story and their own experience, the world will be a better place. Just let go. Stop trying to ram your decisions, your opinions, your viewpoints down other people's throats. They haven't a right to their their way of thinking. 100%. And you're never, ever going to um, have a constructive conversation coming from an emotional point of view. No. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. fired up about something and you're getting into someone you you're never gonna like if you if you can't stop and listen then you're not in a space to have a strong conversation about a situation because when Agreed. you're yeah. you're just gonna be emotional and if the other person you notice can't stop and listen you notice they're they're just all they're doing is trying to say their view yeah Stop yeah. talking because it's a yeah. complete waste of breath. There's no point trying to convince someone who is clearly not able to hear you. So unless yeah. there's active listening on both sides, and it becomes an argument, not a conversation. I ain't into arguing. I don't want that. So yeah, just we're, we're all guilty. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm perfect, Jen. I don't actually ever <laughs> argue with anyone. You're like, I'm, I put a foot out. I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm so annoyingly understanding. I'm like, you know what? You're right. I will accept that you're not quite ready to understand but you have your opinion. I'll just wait until you're ready. And be and like, no, I want an what argument. Do you, what do you need? You were like that. Have you Ooh, ever- I want, oh, go on. I was going to share something, a really good little nugget of information. I'll go for it. So one of the most powerful things, I've only used it twice, but I heard about it 10 years ago, to absolutely stop an argument dead in its tracks and, and take all the power away from the person that is arguing with you. You go... Thank you so much. Your opinion has really helped me to get to know you better. That's quite interesting. Mic drop. Because what it does is it validates what they've said. It tells the person that you've heard them, but it also doesn't insult them back. So it gives them no ammo 
yeah. to throw back at you. You go, thank you so much. Your opinion has really helped me to get to know you better. So it puts them all back on them. And but I've not said anything horrible. The- it's right. completely neutral. There's no, there's nothing there. There's no ammo. Um, yeah. <laughs> ooh, I've used it twice and it's worked both times. And I'm like, yes, I love it. I bet you did a little dance when you did that. You're like, nailed it. <laughs> no, I just, I just gave a polite smile and walked off. And then, yeah, yeah fist pump. Yeah. Um, yeah. But use that. Anybody that wants to distill an argument or give themselves some space from, you know, toxic exchange, try and drop that in yeah, and you'll I, be pleasantly surprised. I also heard a, a really good one, and this is probably more for relationships and whatnot. It's when you're sort of clashing or you're not quite agreeing on something. It, it's saying to them, how can I help you get what you want while still getting what I want? Hmm. Isn't that the whole premise of a, rela- a happy, healthy relationship? Yeah. How can both people get what they need and want? How can I help you get what you want while still getting what I want? And it's like, huh. And you really start to stop and then you go, okay, well, how do I get what I want? And what am I happy to give you? And it's like, okay. Yes. Like- and sometimes accepting that the other person can't create a situation that enables you to receive what you also need and then it's a deeper conversation of is this a relationship we can maintain or is this going to be a healthy option for both of us yes. yeah i think the whole thing sits on like have you heard of um maslow's hierarchy of needs uh no i have not it's a beautiful triangle it's quite simple but it's basically um about humans and human psychological evolution I suppose where at the bottom of the triangle is like your physiological needs like you need to eat yeah and whatever and like the more I suppose emotionally driven you are I would say the lower down the hierarchy you are so like the bottom is your physiological needs and then the next step is like basic human levels of safety and then it goes into like okay now your next lot of needs once you've you know you're fed and watered and you're safe goes into okay I need to feel love and belonging you know feeling connected to people and then the next one you're like okay well once you've got that you're like okay now I really need to get like this beautiful level of like self-esteem and then on top of that it's like this magical like self like actualization I guess that's when people start sort of going awareness is that the top is that the top one the top is self-actualization of like all your morality and just yeah like full-on like zen master kind of stuff at the top and it's like i think you you can fly up and down the whole triangle depending on your situation Mm. but that's like it's like going back to like my work it's like none of the people i deal with can sit into love and belonging or esteem or self-actualization when they're constantly scrapping for just eating and safety yes no, I can I can appreciate that, which is why it's so important. And if you're not getting your other needs, man, it's like it's quite an interesting little triangle to go, huh, I need to um, sit and go make sure that you've worked through those things because then you can start to, I guess, evolve as a human on your psychological basis mm-hmm. that you can't, you can't become self-actualized when... No, uh, and that's why people need proper housing and proper education and yeah, proper... Yeah. And we cannot, unfortunately, resolve that by no. the chat on my podcast. No. I, um, I just, just want to say thanks, Jen. I, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. And I think it's going to be quite insightful for a few people who maybe perceive you in a bad way or have. I know that you have some fremen- frenemies. Is that what they're called? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <That is better. laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> 
yeah I'm just I'm really glad we've had this chat and I think there's been a lot of nuggets of wisdom and help and I know I've certainly learned lots of things I'm going to read that book about the chimp you're going to have to send me that link because I forgot I'll already you, I'll give you three three of my favorites if you want like three of my favorite books that I've read that yes I please do we'll end on that share those so the chimp paradox is amazing chimp paradox yeah oh let me just have a look see who it's by the chimp paradox is phenomenal really great um it is who's it by Stephen Peters okay nice Nice northern English lad, but phenomenal psychologist. So mm-hmm. um, the second one is actually by a journalist called Johan Harry, and it's called Lost Connections. Beautiful. It's about uncovering the real reasons behind depression and anxiety. Oh, wow. Okay. Very, very, very interesting, very insightful, and I would say in a way it somehow saved my life over the years. Like, yeah book um i rec- highly recommend it if anyone says what's the one book you'd read i'll be like lost connections is amazing um it's got all of these like real world sort of situations and people that he's come across and spoken to and delves into all sorts of like psyche and life or sort of situations with like war-torn countries and all sorts but very very interesting and helps sort of rebalance as to what core human needs are i suppose um and the other one is by a guy called mo gordat um i think it's ga W-D-A-T, um, mm-hmm. called The Soul for Happy. Okay. Um, I will and- put these in the um, notes as well for this pod, so thank you. Yeah. yeah. That would be great. Mo was a big, like, Google executive, um, and then he ended up losing his adult son, some freak stuff up at a hospital or something, and he lost his adult son, and then he went on this huge, big journey um, on how to be basically – happy like it's like a soul of how people can be happy no matter their situation and just those sorts of things and it's phenomenally insightful um very very interesting and I guess because he's an naturally an engineer he's been very very thorough um yeah the whole thing and it was it was eye-opening for me as well reading reading that and it's about learning little ways for you to I guess almost just hack into your own personal computer and your mind to to try and train yourself to sort of work work through all that stuff. Yeah. And get going. But those three books are probably three of the greatest books that I will read them over and over and over again because I think they're absolutely phenomenal. So amazing. Like, Thank you. Life, those three books are it. Thank you so much. Just um just of a, a disclaimer, if you are feeling really, really low, guys, or if you're really struggling, reading beautiful fantastic helpful books can be one way to help yourself but make sure you seek professional help if you do need mm-hmm. if you feel if you feel you need to hey, um, i throw you the appointment tomorrow so oh know, good yeah <laughs> my therapy appointment is um in bali i'm going to retreat oh. now so <laughs> um i will i'll hopefully find my inner zen a little bit more whilst i'm in the hills of bali thank you so so much and um yeah Gosh, what a lot to digest. I reckon this will be needed to be listened to twice. So (laughs) listen, share as always, get in touch if you have any questions and please be safe. Have a very happy and merry festive season and I'll catch you in the new year. Thanks so much, guys. Enjoy your retreat. Thank you.